On the twelfth day of X, Mr. Xavier gave to me Kitty pride phasing Magneto bending metal Cyclops optic blasting Gambit card throwing Night crawler bouncing Mountain Hydra hailing Deadpool being douchey Logan's girlfriend Jean one shapeshifter, one deadly sniper, and a female clone of me. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 156, the April 1982 issue on sale January 12th, 1982, titled Skirkle's Revenge. Skirkle's in this issue. Or, or Pursuit. It's titled Pursuit. But I wish it was titled Skirkle's Revenge. <laughs> it's not called Star Chase, as the uh, last issue would have us believe. But that's okay. Hey, before we go too far, Adam, I wanted to announce the details of our next contest. Whoa, we're having another contest already? We have contest winners. Just ask listener Jake Ivey, who by the time he is listening to this episode, will be holding into his little hands an issue of X-Men number 153 that was read on this very podcast. So, winning does happen. Did you sign it? No. Why would I sign it? I had nothing to do with it. I I was tempted to sign, like, the Mylar bag so he could take it out and throw the Mylar bag away. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, you know... Uh, but anyways, uh, the details of this contest uh, are different, or easier, maybe, sort of. Um, anybody who is currently a member of the Danger Room uh, podcast army, club, gang? <laughs> the army club gang. <laughs> the army club gang uh, is eligible to win, but what has to happen is we have to reach 200 likes on our facebook page and today we are at 179 so 21 more people have to click that little like button and when we get to that point we will do a drawing of all of those folks who are in the like pool now things get a little hairy here because we can't always see everybody who likes our page adam what what has to happen for them to be able to for us to be able to see them uh your uh your privacy settings have to be on, or you could just email us and say, "Hey, I just liked you." Yeah. So over the over the Facebook page, you could even email us via the Facebook page. I got to be honest. Like, if you're on Facebook, like at this point, you've already given up the you know thin veil of uh, privacy. So you might as well just open up that privacy setting so that at least your favorite web or your favorite podcast hosts can see your name. But anyways, those, Who are those guys. Well, hopefully it's us, but it might be those other ex podcast people. There are other X podcasts. What? Not that I know of, but <laughs> Merry <laughs> not Christmas. <laughs> so there you go. That's all there is to it. Twenty-one more people like us, and we will have another drawing. And the drawing will be for. I guess I should announce what the prize is, right? Uh, I hinted on this. <laughs> I hinted uh, of this in the last couple of uh, episodes, but it would be X Men number one sixty-four in passably good condition. And here's the deal. We're, we're a little ways off from that uh, issue. So y- y- if we get to 21 likes right after this podcast is listened to, it is up to the winner. The winner can say, I want my comic book and I want it now. And two or three weeks later, I will mail it to that person. But if uh, they so choose, they can say, no, 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 no. You hang on to that prize and I want you to read that comic on the podcast. And then after you read the comic, you can send it to me. Then I will send it two to three weeks after I read it on the podcast. See? See how that goes? Wow. 
That's generous. Yeah, man. So not only do you win a prize, but you get to control how that prize is used. Meh? Meh. <laughs> All right. Well, with that out of the way, what are we talking about? Uncanny X-Men 156, the cover of which feature Star Jammers jamming across the universe, Star Jammers. I got to be honest. Uh, I feel like this is an unused cover for the Uncanny Star Jammers number one. Oh, maybe. No, it couldn't be, because why are uh, Cyclops and Storm there? Because uh, in the, the, at the last minute, Dave Cockrum was like, huh, you should probably put some X-Men on this cover. So he erased, I don't know, the two other Star Jammers who were going to be Star Jammers and put uh, Storm and Cyclops there. I don't know, but... It's it's a plausible theory. You don't know, but but hear me out. Look at look. I actually so I like this cover. It's it's cool. I like it. Again, I'm not really a huge fan of the Star Jammers, but this cover's nice. I like it. Look at the detail on Chode. Uh, Chod. I like to go with Chode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he 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 looks great. Um, Corsair looks great. Ra- Raza Raza. He looks he looks good. Uh, Hezipa is that her name? Hepzibah. Hepzibah. She looks, you really can't see her. She's kind of in the background, but she looks good. Cyclops, uh, he kind of looks like he's an afterthought. Well, that that could be. I mean, that could, maybe you just described the order that he drew them in. <laughs> well, that, that very well could be too. Uh, Storm, Storm looks okay, but I'm just saying, I think it's possible because. It's certainly possible. Anything's possible. There definitely is a Star Jammers number one out there though, isn't there? Oh, I don't know. Is there? I didn't think so. You don't think there's a mini series that happened at some point in the eighties? No, not in the eighties. No, I would have. Mm. I think I would have heard of that. Like one in a four issue limited series. Number two never came out. I don't think so, man. Um, that would be something that I could see happening somewhere in like the two thousands or something. Somewhere where I wasn't paying attention, but I, I was. But your pr- eyes were on the prize. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I was pretty pretty well involved. Like, if in the 80s and early 90s the X-Men had a Twitter feed, I was all on top of it, following all of their tweets. All right, I just looked it up. Star Jammers number one came out in 1995. Ah, well, that makes sense, actually. Uh, it was written I, by Warren Ellis with pencils by Carlos Pacheco. Oh. Cool. So that issue came out immediately following my discovery of girls and not caring at all about X-Men comic books. It was a uh, four-issue limited series followed by a six-issue limited series from 2004. Interestingly enough, there is also a two-issue series from 1990 called The X-Men Spotlight on Star Jammers. Oh. It's to be new material, and the cover is by Dave Cockrum, and it's very similar to this cover. Really? Yeah, it's got um, Chode. Corsair in the front with Chad in the back. Uh they're, they're in the exact same position. Raz is in the same position. Hepzibah is now in the Cyclops position. And I don't know if that's Lalandra in the Hepzibah position or someone else by the 90s. Maybe they had a new member. Hmm. Is it like the exact same drawing or is it just uh, a copy or an updated version? Uh, of- it is not the exact same drawing. Everybody's in a, is in a different pose. Okay. But they're in, they're in the same kind of... Uh, V going towards Corsair. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Well, there you go. That's probably more detail than any of you wanted on the Star Jammers. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, so, well, we, we've done a pretty good job describing this cover. So let's open this thing up here. 
this is a Claremont Copcrum Wissiak Chang Warfield Jones shooter production. I don't know what you any are, one, one day you are going to pronounce Wissiak correctly. I don't know when it'll be, but Wissiak. It was not today. <laughs> um, I don't know who's doing what because it doesn't say who's doing what. So I'm going to assume that Warfield is uh, doing the words, Claremont's doing the colors, Jones is coloring, Cockrum is lettering. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Wisiak is uh, I don't know what he's the uh, co co executive dude guy editor. Wisiak, we a sec. We a sec. We a sec. Okay, I've said it three times, so now it'll stick. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we uh, start off with a full-page spread, leaving off or starting off exactly where we left off last issue, which uh, Colossus is dead. Well, not exactly where we left off last issue, because this is like a few seconds before the police show up, because the next page, the police show up. Oh, which is actually kind of a continuity issue, because... If you look at the last uh, issue, uh, the last two pages, the spike is in his chest in both panels. But if this panel takes place between those two panels, uh, well, then that means Wolverine took the spike out when the cops arrived, put the spike back in him. Why would you take the spike out? Well, because he's Wolverine. Yeah, but you don't take, like, if, if somebody <laughs> is wounded, mortally or otherwise, you don't take the spike out. You leave the spike in until somebody can do some sort of, uh, you know, doctoring. <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a healing factor? <laughs> no, Wolverine, no. <laughs> so, um, well, we find out right away that he has a pulse. Which... Right, so he's, he's not as dead as we thought he was. Um, so it's kind of a like even retconning just the last issue because in the last issue, which Wolverine does echo again, like it, uh, believe me, if there's anything we could do, it wouldn't do any good. Uh, but last issue, he was a little bit more dire. He was like, even in the best hospital in the world with the best doctors, it wouldn't do any good. The implication there is he's he's dead. Here it's yeah, like, eh. and, and uh, you know, truth be told, that's that's true. Wolverine's right. <laughs> but here it's more of like, I don't really know how to help him, so. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just pull this spike out. Oh, That'll help. Here come the cops. I'm gonna stick it back in him. <laughs> well, he doesn't actually. The cops show up and they're like, "You're all under arrest." And Tigra's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe what all just happened." Hey, last issue I said that Tigra was originally from a '50s issue of or a '60s issue of uh, four issue miniseries called Hellcat. Mm-hmm. Well, I was. I was slightly wrong. Uh, it was a it was a seventies miniseries, and it was called The Cat. Oh, um, the the costume does later go go on to become Hellcat's costume. It's the same costume, and it is Tigra. So I I was I was kind of right, but you know, just wanted to correct that. Yeah, because there was a like a whole cadre of uh, Tigra fans that were up in arms about your horrible Tigra mistake. Oh man, we got so many letters about that. Hate mail, firebombs. Like I couldn't even <laughs> walk to work with all the. Garbage that was being thrown at me. Get your tiger facts correct. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, Tigra she jumps into action and she's like, "I'm Tigra, one of the Avengers." Meow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and apparently, this is a note here that uh, she has just left the Avengers, which is odd because I thought last issue she's like, "I'm a new Avenger." So well, they were hanging at the Avengers Mansion last issue. Why yeah. was she still hanging there? I don't know. 
She must have, like, in last month's run of comic books, she must have quit the Avengers. But since this story carries on from last month, it becomes a little confusing, I guess. I don't know. Anyways. Oh, I see. So this story takes place before she quit the Avengers. Yes. Okay. Uh, the cop's like, I don't care. That was a very expensive building that fell down. Somebody has to pay. <laughs> well, it's not going to be me. <laughs> I don't I don't really have that kind of money. In fact, I'm <laughs> thinking about quitting the Avengers. <laughs> Maybe this is what drove her over the edge. <laughs> I can't handle this. Well, speaking of people that can't handle this, we flip our attention over to air traffic control where one of the air traffic controllers is like, oh, man, I can't believe that big thing we saw in the sky. I can't let that happen again. It was just too much for me to handle. And then it shows up again, or another thing shows up, and he slams his head down on the ground and starts pounding his fists. I can't handle it. Stupid. I'll take care of Phil, Marty. You get back to your console. This is like a big filler. You know, they're like, how can we spread half a page here? Actually, a whole page, because the next, the rest of the half of this page is nothing but uh, New York cityscape. Apparently, the ship is very big. It casts a, a looming shadow over the cityscape. A uh, little, little twin towers action occurring here between two panels, which is, A, it's a nice way to do panel design, but, but you just don't see that too much anymore, Adam. Uh, panel design like this? No, the twin towers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so, I just like to point it out every time I see it. I don't know why. It's meaningful for me for some reason. But anyways, um, everybody's aghast at what is in the air, and that's when we get to see a ship, a gold ship, which is, yeah, it's freaking huge. Which doesn't make any sense that it's as large as it is. No, it won't. Uh, but, I mean, I think this is the Empire State Building that it's kind of dwarfing. I'm going to go with it's casting some sort of hollow projection that makes it larger than it really is. Sure. But, I mean, to put it in perspective, like, there's the Empire State Building, and then, like, nine more buildings over is, like, the other side of the ship. So, I mean, that's, like, uh, that's a lot of city blocks. Yeah, that's that's enormous. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. So, uh, it casts down a red beam, which, uh, fortunately, beams the X-Men and Corsair up, leaving Tigra behind. <laughs> the ship takes off. Tigra's like, meow, good luck, X-Men. I feel like you'll need it. I wish I could come with you, meow. I'm going to go quit the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. I like how her little bikini clasp is a kitty cat. <laughs> is it a is it a cat or a skull? Yeah, well, it's like it's a it's a kitty cat skull, but still, it's a kitty cat. Meow. All right, anyway. <laughs> the X-Men are like, "Whoa, where we might be out of the frying pan and into the fire or something." But no. It's who is it, Adam? It's the Star Jammers, jamming across the universe, Star Jammers. And the first guy to welcome them aboard is Chode, who comes up and says, Come here, big guy, and picks up Corsair off of his feet into the air, and's like, I missed you, buddy. It is most assuredly the latter, my small Terran friend. Welcome home, Corsair. It gladdens my heart to see you, Ribbit. <laughs> uh, that's not how I hear him, but I like the ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll keep it. I like it. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. The whole show it would take forever. Well, I don't think um, he has very many lines, so <laughs> you're okay. Um, really disappointing that they didn't bring Tiger on board because we could have a Tiger Hepzibah couple of panels. Oh, we could be like, meow, you're a skunk, and 
Meow, you're uh, a kitty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to spray you. Meow. <laughs> Anyways, uh, actually, I think they say that later on, I mean, she definitely has a skunk tail, but they say that she is a, from a, she's a feline animal from some planet somewhere. From planet Felonius Monk. Yeah. Uh, and she used to be, <coughs> excuse me, her people, <coughs> geez, <coughs> her people, <laughs> wow, it's, I can't even get it out there. I got, I got a little Hetzba in my throat there. Um, her people used to be enemies with the avian Shi'ar people, so it was literally cats and birds. I used to use avian Shi'ar as my dandruff, body dandruff. But... <laughs> uh, yeah. Shampoo, shampoo, my dandruff shampoo. But to serious items, Corsair, Colossus is dying. Can your crew help him? We can try, son. The life support module will stabilize his body function, give him at least a fighting chance. Before that... Uh, beyond that, it's up to our sh- medic, medic Sikorsky. Did Sikorsky have a name last time? I don't think so. I believe that this is the first appearance of Sikorsky's names. Name. Just as one Although name. they also have a name for their other robot in the ship. So maybe Sikorsky hasn't appeared yet. Ooh, this could be the first appearance of Sikorsky. I think you might be right. I don't know. It's hard. I get confused about which robots have shown up with the... Star Jammers! <laughs> Thanks, boy. Things wound severe is likewise condition. Loss prepared for B termination possible. I have little. He can't wings. die. I won't let him die. What are you talking about, Cyclops? Well, that's what his dad says. What are you, God? Now, shut up, boy. <laughs> it's out of our hands. All we can do is watch and pray. Meanwhile, on the Shi'ar spaceship, Kitty is still playing with the clothing generator. Apparently she's been doing that for hours. Her first costume's kind of like a pixie-esque thing with like this little wing thing going on around her shoulders. Her next one is very, I don't know, elf-like and very revealing. And she's like, what do you think of my new threads? Do you think it'll turn some heads? I can think of a few places where it will get you arrested. No fooling? Wow. I also think Peter will love it. Idea. And then she changes into another costume. Oh, I don't like Peter. <laughs> uh, and the the Shi'ar guy's like, oh my god, these guys are so boring. <laughs> and that's when, uh, who is this? Is um, Samedar, Admiral Lord Samedar, is like, I just dropped in to show you some footage I just found of your friends. Yeah, we shot some great footage. We had some of our Shi'ar uh, cameramen go down to planet Earth and shoot this cool footage of the X-Men battling uh, Deathbird. And, um, well, we didn't get any footage of the brood, strangely enough. <laughs> but uh, you don't need to know about that. Uh, yeah, Cyclops got blasted and uh, Storm saved him and then he got stabbed. Um, actually, the X-Men weren't even around for this shot. I don't know how we got this one. <laughs> The cameramen, it's for the Shi'ar reality television show, so the cameramen were strictly instructed not to assist or help out. <laughs> yes, and you meant uh, Colossus, not Cyclops. Oh, well, I can make that confusion probably once per episode. Yeah, so I'm with you. They both start with C. Anyways. Why did you stop the tape? What happens next? Uh, we ran out of film. <laughs> yeah, film budgets being what they are, you know, you only have so mu- uh, so many feet of film remember it's 1982 
Is Galassus dead or alive? Surely your cameraman was at least like like watching. I I really like this drawing of Kitty where she's kind of looking up in the air and you can almost see kind of like the agony on her face of just witnessing her her friend, potentially her boyfriend getting killed. Okay. Yeah, I just like it. And then the next panel kind of wrecks it with these gigantic eyebrows of hers. But she, 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 this is where she kind of toughens up a little bit. And she's like, I want to scream and cry, but that'll give them satisfaction. So I'm not going to do it. Next, it'll be my turn. And we cut away from uh, Kitty and Kurt to see Lord Admiral Seemdar. Um, now he's communicating with uh, Death the Bird. Is he same dark? Because like every now and again they put little accents. So I'm almost looking yeah. at this. I think it's yeah, like she refers to him as uh, same dark. Yeah, but like he's when Deathbird responds, there's like little accent marks. So I, I'm wondering if it's like Samedar, Lord Samedar. Oh, you mean the pronunciation? Yeah. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> well, they've been kind of uh, they haven't been very consistent with the punctuation. Chode earlier was. Chode, and then he was just chode. The E is invisible. Yeah, I'm not gonna say Samadar. I'm just reading them as it as it as it's written. Same. Samadar. Samadar. All right. Anyways, um, they're flying. Uh, well, we cut our attention over to uh, yet another ship, or is this Deathbird ship we cut over to? Um, this is Deathbird ship. Okay. Um, but 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 you you're glossing over the key point here is that Samadar. So He's working with Deathbird. Oh, I thought that was obvious. Well, oh was wait, it obvious last, last issue. No, you're right, Adam. I, you're right. You're right. He because he was working with. Uh, he was working with Chancellor Iraqi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, my bad. My bad. Good catch. Good catch. All right, everybody. Samadar is a traitor. Yes. Um. He is. Why is he being a traitor? Oh, power. She is Deathbird. I guess is gonna wants to be the next uh, empress. Yes, and we'll find out a little bit more about that in a moment. I'm guessing that Deathbird probably promised him a prominent position in the Empire, which he already holds. <laughs> so see. you have been paid. You've been well paid, Admiral. Okay. I expect value for my money, and one way or the other, I shall have it. So it's all about the money. Yep. All about the Benjamins. So on Deathbird's ship, there is a man who's got crushed legs and a bald head who well it's Charles Xavier but anyways he he's he he he's like out he's unconscious and uh but as he comes to consciousness he he has a vision of an alien-esque uh woman who then morphs into Lilandra and then he comes to full consciousness and he's like what's going on you look evil is this supposed to be a brood? I can tell you exactly what's going on here, but I think it'd be a spoiler. So I'm not gonna. Yes, I believe that that is supposed to be brood-like. Yeah, I'm just realizing this right now. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, and, uh, you know, with what I know about the brood, I'm just I'm just like, oh, wow. I didn't realize this before, but okay. Yeah, so um, anyways, she's like, no, it's it's me. It's me, Charles. Your bird girlfriend. Love you. Professor mentally scans her and is like, yep, well, there's nothing weird here. It, it is Lilandra. I wonder what that evil thing was. Oh, well. The mental images I saw must have been hallucinations. Yet, I am still uneasy. Why? Uh, yeah. So, 
they kiss and they hug and they embrace and talking about how they uh, love each other. Lilander's like, oh, I heard that Colossus has been slayed. That sucks. Two of your students now have been killed because of me. Dark for Phoenix and Colossus. I'm sorry. And he's like, well, if it wasn't for those bad times, we would have never had the good times. I would not exchange our love for anything. Yep. Nor would I. Deathbird comes in, and that's when we find out that Deathbird is... Lilandra's older sister. I don't think we knew that before. Truly, little yeah. sister. Last time it was just some like one-off Hawkeye villain. Well, they've they've definitely fleshed out her character a little bit more. Then seed be your throne, and I will grant you a lifetime of peace and love. Uh, squawk, squawk. <laughs> uh, matricide. Uh, Lilandra screams, which I the thought... The only was, thing I'll give you is a speedy journey through the gates of death! I thought matricide was, like, murder of your mother. Uh, maybe it's murder of your sibling? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Probably never, no. <laughs> Could look it up, but so could you, listener. So, uh, are death birds' wings attached to her, or are they, like, part of her costume? They appear to be growing out of her arms. So does that make her a Shi'ar mutant? Um, I think it just makes her slightly more Shi'ar than some other Shi'ars. Or maybe... I don't know. I don't really understand the deal with the Shi'ar. They yeah. don't have bird-like stuff going on. So maybe she just has a more ad- advanced case of avian Shi'ar. <laughs> or maybe uh, when they became uh, dignified and joined the Galactic uh, Empire... They decided that they would clip their wings, and Deathbird's more a traditionalist, and she's like, no. I guess, yeah, she's definitely, to me, it seems like she's a reworked character, right? Because she doesn't have the Shi'ar headdress, and she's got wings, so. Yeah, I I suspect they said, that person kind of looks like a Shi'ar. I'm going to rewrite that person's history. Yeah, so, anyways. Uh, so yes, Deathbird is she or uh, Lilandra's older sister and was heiress to the throne, but she did something bad and she was cast out. She 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 was an unforgivable crime. Which they're not they're not telling us yet. Well, maybe that's when she says matricide. Maybe maybe Deathbird killed Lilandra and Deathbird's mother, and that's the unforgivable crime. Yeah. Okay. We find out here. Um, uh, she was stripped of the rank and name, cast out of Airy forever as a hatchling. I worshipped her. So if the professor and Lilandra attempted to conceive a baby, what would happen? <laughs> would it be an egg or would it be like a half baby, half egg? Right. Uh, I don't even <laughs> want to think about that. <laughs> or or would she just like lay an egg and be like their professor, fertilize it. Professor's like, uh... I guess I didn't realize what I was getting myself into here. All right, I looked up matricide, and it is the killing of one's mother. Yeah, see? So so good on you. Yeah, I'm, I'm smart. Anyways, <laughs> uh, on the bridge of the enormous... What's that word say there, Adam? Uh, star, star, star jammer? Jamming across the universe? Star jammer? Well, I was really hoping you'd sing it, but, but whatever. You know, if you're going to phone this in, that's fine. <laughs> Okay, anyways. It's jamming across the universe. Uh, You know, maybe one day we'll run a contest where a listener could turn that into an awesome rock epic. 
Uh, there's no contest. If anybody just wants to send us the Rockin' Starjammer song, it's going on like almost every episode, if not every episode. <laughs> It'll be like the closing tune. Actually, I wanted to. I wanted to, I wanted to have a full band, and uh, that's that part that I just sing every time. That's just the chorus. There's got to be some fleshed out words. Yeah, right. Something about like he comes Corsair and Chode and has pa star jamming across the universe. Yeah, well, a little bit more in depth than that, but you get the idea. Think Saturday morning cartoon. Yes. Imagine if there was a Saturday morning cartoon of the Star Jammers. That's and... that's the theme song you need to write. And then Adam's already written the chorus for you. I wrote the hard part. <laughs> the melody. The melody. You had to write that. Yeah. <clears throat> I was hard. I stayed up all night thinking of that. The uh, Corsair is on the bridge of the Star Jammer, and he is noting that this is uh, his most favorite part of the ship. He likes to sit up here by himself and touch himself. I mean, watch the stars <laughs> flow by. Uh, he relates that Aurora told him about Jean, and he didn't know, and he's sorry, and... Um... He says, all things pass in time, Scott, even grief. And Scott asks him about how his mother and he split up. And he relates the story that uh, we only know this story from like a brief flashback in a classic X-Men, right? This is like the first real retelling of the story. Uh, now you got me thinking. I've, I've, or did Jean Grey pull it out of him way back when? I, 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 definitely there was classic X-Men, but I feel like in canon there was like a panel, if not two panels, of the boys in a parachute. Well, there definitely was that, like, two, two one or two issues ago. Yeah, okay, but this... I'm just wondering if there was another one back when Jean Grey was alive. Uh... Like, how did she figure out that he was... Corsair was Cyclops' father? Well, he's Phoenix, or she's Phoenix, rather. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I just would be surprised if Chris Claremont passed up the opportunity to insert this flashback in. I have no, yeah, I guess I don't, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't quite ready to to deal with this story. It could be. Anyways, the, well, it's a story as old as time, everybody. Gather around the fire. Corsair had just fixed up a Mosquito, which is an airplane. He'd rebuilt it, and he was the finest pilot on the planet. I don't know how he knows that, but he was. Yeah, what an ego on this guy. <laughs> I was the best pilot alive. <laughs> uh, I had a competition that actually proved it. The president gave me a medal that said, best pilot alive. I faced every other pilot and killed them. <laughs> <laughs> one by one. Anybody who was better than me, I killed and ate his heart so it would become part of me. <laughs> Anyways, I was flying uh, around the South Cape of Yucataga when I mean, really best pilot alive. That's like the whole universe. <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah, it's that's like really. I mean, of course, there's a guy who's been around the universe. So there's a lot of pilots, and yet he's telling this story. I was the best pilot alive. Yeah, not, Does this not mean that he's not the best pilot alive anymore. Well, was sure past tense, definitely. So. <laughs> Okay, I guess he's uh, he's lost his skills. Yeah, no, now he's now he's a he's the best swashbuckler alive. But yeah, the best something <laughs> flying around when they get a panic call from Anchorage about an unidentified contact heading their way, and it's a big, ugly, bug-looking spaceship, 
and it shoots at him. But as he mentions, he's the best pilot alive, so he's able to dodge the blasts, but they can't outrun them forever. So eventually... So, uh, so this first panel with the, the four of them in the frame, do you think uh, where it cuts off, there's like third Summer's brother? Uh, well, I mean, there's definitely a possibility. I mean, if you look at how that arm is positioned... We don't even know if that arm belongs to Alex Summers. That could be an arm from somebody off panel. And Alex's arm could be around another boy's back. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's true. plausible. However, on the next page, uh, let's see here. Uh, Corsair says that we were overland and strapped uh, and strapped you into the lone parachute. Uh, Sarah, Anne. Anne, Catherine, oh, his wife. Uh, she could find, wrapped you around your little brother, singular, and shoved you both, two people, out of the hatch. But the sky was a blast, uh, full of blaster fire, and the chute caught on fire, and the canopy started to burn. Helpless, we watched you fall, imagining we could hear your screams. We thought we would die, too, until a teleport beam yanked us aboard the starship. So... I'm going to say that there may have been three boys on the airplane, possibly. We don't know. We can't see past that panel. But there are only two boys fashioned to this parachute. Remember this in ten years. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes. Well, Corsair is sent to some slave planet, uh, but he breaks out and, and he goes to go find his wife and finds that some dude named Ken is trying to have his way with her. And no. instead of shooting him with his gun, as he states, he was so enraged that he wanted to punch him lots. <laughs> Just fine, I guess. Uh, so he runs up to Deken, but the guards grab him first, and Deken's like, oh, I should send you to die a slow, painful death, but that's too good for you. Does this lady, does this female important to you? Corsair. Yes. Yeah. So he just can't, he just look, he don't even care. He just looks right at Corsair, whips out a knife and stabs her in the heart. You shall remember this moment for the rest of your days. Kate. Kate. Wait, is, I thought his name, was, her name was Anne. Her name's Catherine Anne. So he alternates between calling her Kate and Anne. I don't like that. You know, that. Chris Cunningham likes to cover all the bases. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. There's a, there, every, isn't, that seems typical of the Marvel Universe. You know, Amos Duncan. What was his other name? Fred. Fred Amos Duncan. Yeah. Um. So here's where I I had that idea last last month. This could have all been a setup from Catherine Ann Summers, and she's she's out there still. Oh. Waiting, waiting to have her stories told. This was this this was faked. That could be. Yeah. Dear Marvel bullpen, like if you're out of ideas, follow up on the Ann Summers storyline that you, you know. 30... Let's just say it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> <laughs> 34 years in the making, right? Something like that. Do it. Just well, saying, credit where credit's due, it was my idea. <laughs> Her and Uncle Ben are somewhere out in the galaxy taking stuff over. <laughs> they want revenge because nobody... They all gave up on them or something. I don't know. Anyways, uh, uh, there's some forgiveness. Cyclops is okay with Corsair, uh, and that's when Hepzibah comes up and says, Meow. Oh, we got to go. 
All things pass in time, even grief, he said earlier, but clearly that's not entirely true as he's as he's remembering it, he's he's still pretty grief stricken. Well, it's a heck of a heck of a thing to have happen to you. Yeah, um just you know. Yeah. No. It's not with him every second of the day, but when he remembers it, it still hurts. Oh, and I think we glossed over it earlier, but the Star Jammer is a ship that they stole. So, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We became comrades and friends. Eventually, we stole the Star Jammer, jamming across the universe, Star Jammer. Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) It's magic. (laughs) So, the Star Jammer comes up behind Death Bird's little tiny green ship. Uh, The Star Jammer is still huge. What is Hepzibah? Does Hepzibah have armor? Like, she's got a big bug helmet. Yes, she has a kitty cat helmet. But what's funnier, in my opinion, is she has a big poofy metal tail piece of armor. She does? You can't really see it in this panel, but I'll I'll point it out when we get to it. It might might not even be in this issue. It might be a next issue. But, yeah, she's got armor for her tail. (laughs) So, um... They're like, yay, we caught up to Deathbird, but then they're like, oh my god, there's something else. The alarms are going. What's going on? There's something behind us. Uh, Corsair says something I don't quite understand. He says, look you, Chris, the scanners. I think uh, Hepzibah says that because oh, his name is oh, Chris. Who's Chris? Oh. Christopher Summers. Oh, okay. But I don't know why it's Chris. Well, Maybe she's... That's, she, that's how she pronounces it. Chris. Look you, Chris. Chris? Maybe, yeah, well, she's from the stars, so they put apostrophes in everything. <laughs> Re Skirkle. Oh, Skirkle. <laughs> Rest in peace. A cloaking device, probably by the star, or probably by the stars. I've heard of legends of such craft, but I never believed a two page spread of a giant space fish. If you look at the two pages, they don't really line up perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> No, they don't. I thought these two-page spreads were like generally one big drawing that they split in half, but this appears to be two drawings that they just put side by side. In the 80s, they didn't have that type of technology. Or maybe there's missing stuff in the middle. It may have been one giant page, and then they put borders around it to make it comic booky, and then when they put yeah. it together in the Masterworks uh, or whatever else... Could be. Uh, who knows? Could be. Well, the Star Jammer and uh, Deathbird's ship are sucked into the space fish's mouth, and little, like, fleshy blobs extrude to form landing pads for the ships, which is weird. And and uh, also, like, one of the, one of the uh, fleshy thingies turns into a tunnel that goes straight to their airlock. Not which, not just a tunnel, Adam, a pseudopod. <laughs> All right, but um, it's a way for the people inside the ship to get into the, the uh, inside the fish ship to get inside of the, the Starjammer ship. All aboard, know what that means. I don't know what that means. But on the next page, there's a Things whole bunch... being boarded. There's a whole bunch of brood who have guns, just like Skirkle. It's a bunch of Skirkles. And they're heading towards the ship, but the hatch blows off of the Starjammer, and there stands Colossus, and somebody must have given him a new costume because it doesn't have a big hole in the chest. 
He carries a spare. <laughs> I carry this in my belt. Death bird! You taught me uh, Spain. Maybe the costume... Uh, maybe the uh, medical unit sewed up his costume. Oh, Sikorsky is also a good sewer. Yeah. <laughs> so the X-Men... Well, actually, it's just Colossus, Wolverine, and Reza. They jump out and they start blasting... Or actually, the uh, brood start blasting at them. Uh, and that's when... Um, Chode, Storm, and Hepzibah, they also jump out, ready to attack. Oh, yeah, and now you can see Hepzibah's got her uh, armor on, although I still can't see her tail. Yeah, I don't. I think it'll, it's next issue that we'll see it, but okay. her tail is in armor. Anyways, um, yeah, so they're fighting the brood, the brood are fighting back, uh, and as blasts are hitting the side of the walls, the ship reacts kind of as if it's in physical pain. It's true, and uh, Odd and Storm kind of uh, have different philosophies in battle. Um, Storm is unwilling to kill any of these brood, even though I think they killed a bunch of them last issue. But yeah. Maybe she didn't. Um, and Chad says, you know, don't, don't bother. These guys would totally kill you. So they're, you know, uh, some more Storm stuff. Storm-isms. Stormisms. Uh, and that's when we go into the bridge of the ship, and these brood are talking. Ooh, flying brood. Yeah, so they are actually, in this issue now, a little less alien-like. Um, weren't the other brood walking on, like, feet? Because these guys don't have feet. I don't think they had feet. Well, maybe not. But it seemed like they were walking, like, right next to... Uh, Deathbird holding their little gun. Mm. Well, what are these ones on the ground? Oh, and, these ones all fuzzy. Yeah, I don't know. Plus, they, yeah, had, they do have. They do have. If you look at the legs, they have legs uh, in the panel where they're first entering the ship, where mm. Colossus emerges from the ship. They do have legs. They have got those like backward in, goat insectoid legs. Well, they <clears throat> in the last issue, it kind of looks like they've got those backward goat legs where the knee ball is facing the wrong way. Yeah, that's what they have as they're entering the Star Jammer. Oh, okay. Well, these other ones that are flying don't appear to have any knee joints. But... Well, they don't They don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they're, uh, they're, they're... Grandmaster, ship, space, system control elements approach critical levels. It cannot withstand such punishment. So they're worried about, I guess, the ship, maybe? Are you, like, channeling Daleks with that voice? I don't know. It's, it's They're like bug creatures. They got to sound something like that. But sure. <laughs> it's, very, it's, very, it's very Dalek. Oh, all right. What manner of beings do we face? Hagrel. <laughs> and what is of Skirkle? <laughs> what happened to Skirkle? He was exterminated. No. No, not Skirkle. Anybody but Skirkle. We do find out that, uh, well, yes, what manner of beings are these? I want them taken alive. Such formidable adversaries may prove to be splendid hosts for the Mother Queen. So hosts, Mother Ooh, Queen. Mother Queen. Hmm. Do we, do we, are we drawing some conclusions yet, maybe? We, we are, we are. No, I'm not. I've totally forgotten what happened. <laughs> now, is this, this is what this, what we said in the beginning, this was 1982? Yes. What year did Aliens come out? Ah, uh, Aliens. So Alien came out in 79, if I'm not mistaken. 
Right. Aliens? God, I don't know, man. You are not mistaken. Yeah. I just wonder, because the, uh, the head carapace, or whatever you want to call this thing, is very similar to the the mother uh, alien. Yeah? Well, how do you mean? Well, just uh, she has a big... Oh, oh, I know what you're um, talking about. Yeah, yeah. Head the... thing. I don't know what you would call that. Yeah, the little head piece. The, there, head there's a word for it, and I can't think of it. Aliens? Man, that it 82 seems too early for that movie to have come out. I don't think it... I think it was maybe 84 or 86. I want to... Well, so Terminator came out in 84. So I'm going to say that Aliens probably came out in... Yeah, but I learned, because uh, I was actually watching, I watched all of the Aliens movies recently, and uh, there was a documentary that before he started uh, filming Terminator, uh, he was already, uh, James Cameron was already writing the script Aliens. Well, that I believe. So it's potential that some of these drawings might have existed. That, okay, sure, sure, I believe that. Or maybe he was flipping through his X-Men comic books and he's like, oh man, I got an idea. Yeah. It's 1986 that Aliens came out, so this is this is definitely before that. Yeah, but as you said, I mean, if he, if while or during filming of Terminator, he was already writing Aliens, that may mean he had a lot of these. I well, yeah, that means you're right. I guess the point here is that this comic book did not copy Aliens, right? All it's, right, yeah, it seems fairly clear. Okay, moving on. Uh, so so, well, I mean, except for the fact that the brood look like xenomorphs. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Only a little bit. Yeah. Mosquito morphs. Yeah. <laughs> so the X-Men, uh, they're, they're working their way in, trying to figure out what's going on, uh, fighting the brood. There's some back and forth going on. Raza stops the battle mid-battle uh, to put some shoes on Colossus. It's like, lad, you'll get your feet dirty. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's because one of the uh, Skirkles or Roskills or whatever their names are turned the um, gravity off. So most of the everybody is floating around, but apparently the Star Jammers right. have anti or they have gravity boots. Right. Yeah. Shunt Colossus to me, Storm. <laughs> Shunt. Okay, the professor and Lilandra are in a room that has an inhibitor field, which apparently also has gravity, or they just haven't been affected by the zero gravity yet. Well, I think the zero gravity just affects outside of the ships. That was my impression. I don't think so because of what happens later on in this this very page here. But anyways, the inhibitor field is certainly uh, uh, preventing him from using his powers. But before the brood are able to destroy Lilandra and the Professor, Cyclops and Corsair, father and son, show up and blow the broods away. And that's when the Professor's like, watch out, everybody. And he leaps up. He's got to be floating. I mean, he didn't throw his body that far and punches a brood. Mm, And the next panel, he's kind of floating around a little bit. Okay, makes no sense. All right, yeah, I guess guess, uh, somebody wasn't thinking. And then there's some back and forth here of like, Professor, that was careless and dangerous. You could have been hurt. And the Professor's like, he threatened the woman I love. And everyone's like, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was a splendid, foolish gesture, my love, and I shall treasure it forever. I can't blame him, really. In his shoes, I'd have probably done the same thing. Oh, yeah, my deadly eyes. <laughs> 
Well, anyways, the uh, X-Men, well, the two groups of uh, X-Men and Star Jammers meet at a artery or something. And uh, that's when Deathbird appears and she's fighting Storm. So Storm is actually not with them right now. Deathbird throws a spear at Storm, which she dodges, but that's when Storm notices that the spear pierces the wall and blood comes out of the wall. Ew. And she realizes that this vessel, this giant fish ship, which, honest to God, looked like a big fish, is actually a big fish. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why anybody's surprised here, but anyway, there they are. They're like, oh my God, it's alive. Deathbird uses the old uh, alien hatch trick, forcing uh, Storm out into the into space. She commands Hagrill to open the portal, and she says, "Out there, does. it looks it looks kind of like an anus." <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I've never studied an anus that close, Adam. But tell me more. <laughs> do you have Do you have cats? Well, yeah, I, ha- I have. You, you ever get that leather Cheerio in your face? <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know why you had to do that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes, so she goes flying out in space. Deathbird says, "Out there, nobody can hear you scream." <laughs> That's not true. She doesn't say that at all. Uh, but the 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 Star Jammers and the X Men, I guess. Do they make it? They make it back to the Star Jammer. They see that Storm is out there. They realize they have to do something quick, or else Storm is going to die. So they fire up the engines and they blast through the side of the space fish. They ask Waldo, their com- shipboard computer, how long she has, and she has thirty seconds. And so we get a little countdown uh, in between three panels as they count down to two. And with two left, they 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 burst out of the ship. And save her. Yep. Which I, I got a teleportation beam. I got to ask, like, I mean, if they could just blast away out of the ship from the get go, why do they even let this charade go on? Like, why do they even let themselves get bored or blast out the hatch? And by the way, did they repair that hatch? I mean, did Colossus pull that thing back on and weld it on so that they're not <clears throat> losing all their oxygen into space? Um, presumably they needed to board Deathbird's ship. And oh, so they were just like, well, all right. We're both inside Deathbird, or we're both inside the big fish, so we might as well go get Deathbird's ship. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and so with that, they but yeah, it, it is a valid question though, because it's like, what what is the point of them capturing them if they could just escape this easily? No, I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, yeah. So they visit Storm in her little cryogenic chamber. Uh, <clears throat> She's in her underwear. She's been sleeping for about 10 years. She's wondering where Newt is. Oh, wait, no. Uh, she She's cold, right? Because she was out in space. And uh, yeah, you know, they're like, we got away. We're all good. Spaceship's a little broken. We're going to have to do some repairs. Take us about 24 uh, hours, but we'll, we'll be good. Oh, the professor uh, mentioned earlier uh, was pretty happy that Colossus was alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Um, yeah, they're going to fix up the ship. Uh, it's not going to take 24 hours. Oh, it's going to take 24 hours. Uh, and they're gone. They want to return to earth. I don't remember why. Are they just dropping the X-Men off? Well, um, Chancellor Iraqi is still planning to destroy the earth. Oh, okay. In less than six hours. So they, they, uh, we, we have to get back to earth. Otherwise it'll, it'll be gone. 24 hours is just going to take too long. 
I'm sorry, Magistrix, there is no way that the star jammer jamming across the universe, star jammer, <laughs> can reach there in time. If we are Terra's only hope, then I'm afraid the planet may be doomed. Wah, wah, wah. Next issue, Hide and Seek, a matter of life and death. And that is actually what the issue will be called. Is Waldo outside of the ship or something? Why are they communicating to him <laughs> like, they, through a busy screen? That's a good question. Are they just on opposite sides of the wall? <laughs> you see them all on one side, and he's over there, and then you see it from Waldo's perspective, and it looks... I think he's just on the other side of a, a window. It's not a busy screen at all. You're right. It makes no sense. So there you go. The Star Jammers are back uh, in effect, and they're about to foil a plot to destroy the Earth. Isn't everybody excited? I'm excited for one reason and one reason only. Why is that? Star Jammers jamming across the universe. Star Jammers. (laughs) And with that, we move on to our letters section. Our letters page, if you will. What would would we call our letters page? Our letters... Oh, speaking uh, of letters, letters speaking of letters, uh, the letters if, column from this particular issue is interesting. Everybody's raving about X-Men number 150 and the personality that they finally gave Magneto, which I can totally agree with. Uh, and then there was a few, well, one person anyways, who was just like, Kitty's costume is awful. Here's my submission. And the uh, I guess the editor, Chris Claremont, or whoever answers those letters was like, we're going to run kitty costumes until we pick one. So uh, we'll have to pay attention to the letter section because I don't know if this is like a one-time thing they did or if they actually carried it on. But apparently people are submitting kitty costumes in 1982. We should, our fans should pretend it's 1982 and submit to us their best kitty costumes. I concur. And to that end... I don't know if we've actually put this, like, like featured this, but we definitely should. Uh, Clarissa Wilcox sent us a picture, uh, some uh, home homemade art. Does that make any sense? Some original artwork uh, that she drew. She says, hi, guys. I don't know if you remember, but a few episodes ago, you made a call for art for Wolverine knitting a sweater with his claws. I got to be honest. That sounds like a you thing, Adam. It does, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember, honestly, but it definitely sounds like something that we would request. Uh, due to technical setbacks, she was unable to color it, but I think this drawing gets the point across and right in time for the holidays. And it is literally an inked drawing of Wolverine sitting cross-legged, knitting a sweater with his claws. It says, Merry Christmas, Futzers. And it is quite awesome. I like it a lot. It's awesome! In fact, I mean, you, you could almost... This is worthy of, like... A T-shirt, uh, like I like I said on Facebook, I'm totally going to try to make uh, Christmas cards out of these next year. Yeah, yeah, it's very awesome. So thank you for that very much, Clarissa. That's just that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, people, you could submit uh, your 1982 request for Kitty's new costume, uh, and we would probably be equally um, excited and happy about it. We're really excited to get everything. Yeah. This drawing is really good. I like it a, a lot, Clara. It is. It is fantastic. It's actually, it's, 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 uh, I really like it. Yeah. So if you have any other ideas for art that would improve the look of our webpage, our Facebook page, or anything, you know, we would, we would like to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> we also, yes. if you want to do it for us, <laughs> we'll totally accept everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And we also got a letter, didn't we, Adam? Uh, we got a letter from Evan Hodge. Uh, he says, hey, guys, I just wanted to let you know I love your show. 
I just started reading The Uncanny X-Men, and I'm on issue 26, and I'm listening to issue 21 on the show, and love to laugh when you guys point out things that I thought I, I, only, I only I noticed. At the same time, I can feel you, that you guys love the series. Uh, keep up the good work. Can't wait to catch up. So I, what is, this is a message from the past, I guess? Oh, my God. I don't even know. He'll, he'll be listening to this in the future. <laughs> So then this is a message from the past. Yeah. Whoa. Time loop, man. Somebody go warn John Connor. This is episode 145. He's in episode 21. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how fast people burn through these things, but it, it could take a while. <laughs> it very well could. Uh, well, we're glad to have you. Um, yeah, we're glad to have you. Anyways, uh, <clears throat> if you would like to get a hold of us, uh, you can do. We should go back to episode 30. And like re-edit it with like something at the end that's like, and we got a new listener, Evan Hodge. <laughs> Join us in the future in episode 145 when we actually read your letter. <laughs> Man, if I had lots and lots of time, <laughs> I might actually consider doing that. But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah. So uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or you can email us at uh, Danger Room at RedCatProductions.com. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. We're also on Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. You can go to the store of iTunes and type in Danger Room. We're the first one that comes up. Subscribe to us there. Leave us a, like a five-star review, maybe some words of encouragement. All that stuff is fantastic. Uh, and then you can also give us a call and hear your voice, maybe even singing the Star Jammer theme song at 501 Get X Men. With guitar. <laughs> and remember, every like from here on out, well, the next 21, anyways, is an entry for everybody who is in the like pool to win X Men number 164 from my personal collection. Oh, Man, do you do you know who is in X Men number one sixty four? Adam, I have no clue. The Star Jammers. Whoa! <laughs> I'm not even kidding. The Star Jammers are in it. I think it's synergy, or um, if I'm misusing that word, something near not close to synergy. No, it's synergy. Know. Synergy. Synergy. I think it's synergy works. Synergy. <clears throat> do you remember uh, Gem? Her earrings were called synergy, and whenever she turned into Jen, Gem. She would say, Showtime Synergy. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched Jim. The crazy thing. I love the fact that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the crazy thing is that I remember that. <laughs> I was not a avid watcher of Jim. But I did, I think I saw the Jim movie uh, at a friend's house. My friend, it was his birthday, but he had a sister very close in age. So it was kind of like, well, if we do something nice for him, we got to do something nice for her. So I believe we had a movie double feature in which we watched Return of the Jedi followed by Jem. <laughs> yep. So, anyhow, um, that was a long I, time. I know who Jem is. I'll go that far. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now I have the theme song running through my head. <laughs> Sing it. She's truly outrageous, truly, truly outrageous. Jem is her name. Nothing else is the same. Jem is her name. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> uh, anyways, <clears throat> I read some Dazzler. Oh, did you? Oh my god, I did. Do tell. Nothing really much to tell. Uh, 
this Dazzler comic does nothing really to forward the Dazzler lore, nor does it have anything to do with the X-Men. I just want to point that out. Like, everything we've learned so far about <laughs> Dazzler is, like, unimportant information that plays no part whatsoever in the X-Men comic. That being said, let's do Dazzler. <laughs> There's a dude who wants to kill somebody, but we'll find out more about him later. Uh, Dazzler's agent has booked her a, cost- or a concert on the East Coast, or West Coast, I guess. So she flies out there, uh, and it's uh, she's going to be opening up with Bruce Harris. Is Par- that supposed to be the veiled Bruce Springsteen? I don't know, because Bruce Harris, as we learn, is a very thin, uh, gray, long gray-haired man with, like, beatnik glasses. So I don't know if who he's supposed to be a parody of. Anyways, uh, one of the band members in Dazzler's band is named Beefer. <laughs> he's the big, fat, red-headed kid that always has a sandwich in his, his hands. Okay. And they call him Beefer a lot. Hey, Beefer. Yeah, anyways. So Bruce Harris comes along to give Dazzler some advice, uh, and he's like, hey, gorgeous, hey, man. And he looks like that kind of like, I'm 50 years old but super skinny and very full of myself. (laughs) So he's well drawn. Um, Maybe he's just 20 with white hair. (laughs) No, that could be. Very well could be. But he's like, just even though you're opening up for me and they might boo you and things might get out of hand, just remember you're opening up or you're getting paid. And she's like, you're pompous. Wow, what a jerk. He is a jerk. So she gets her makeup on. She, she's she got stage fright. And I got to be honest, she's got gigantic boobs. <laughs> like, they, they go out of yeah. their way to show us how gigantic they are in every panel. Is uh, When did the comic code show up? I think this is approved by the comics code. Yeah, it definitely oh, yeah, is. Yeah, it this is. is yeah, the yeah. era of the, of the comics code. But what like was one of the things we was the comics code on the first issue of X Men? I don't I don't think so. But I don't know. Ah, I, I, um, something tells me that it was. Something tells me if I've got my facts. No, 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 no. I'm confusing it with uh, Marvel versus Timely. Like the first three issues of Fantastic Four are not published by Marvel proper. But that has nothing to do with the comics code. I don't I don't honestly know the answer to that question. Okay. So. Uh, maybe I'll do some research on my own time. Yeah, maybe we could open up a book or something and just take a look at the first cover. Adam, yeah. where's your omnibus? It's downstairs. It's so far away. <clears throat> there's a there's, Okay, so anyways, there's a mysterious guy in the audience, and he's up to no good. Dazzler gets ready to go out, and she's like, I'm going to go for it! And she jumps out there, and she does a light show, and she's giving it all her gut. Or she's got... The audience was there for Bruce Harris, but as soon as they see Dazzler perform, they're like, whoa... This is Dazzler. Wow, I like it. But then Dazzler catches a glimpse of uh, a gun, and she makes it out to be a sniper, and she realizes uh, that there is a sniper in there, so she kind of she sends a strobe blast up to knock his concentration away. So <clears throat> the person he was going to shoot, Joey Kaladi, who is in actuality the Blue Shield, who is the target, it just grazes his shoulder, and he's like, what? I got to get out of here. I just wanted to see Dazzler, but but now I got to go. So he leaves, and he changes into the blue sh- blue shield, and uh, the other guy, he goes away. Uh, the blue shield comes in. There's some fighting that occurs. Apparently, this is a mob hit, because Joey Cartelli is he's a mobster by day, and he's blue shield by night, um, because mobsters killed his father he figures the best way to get revenge is to infiltrate the mob but then at night as blue shield fight the mob he's a very confused version of batman yes 
So, uh, anyways, there's Although a... to be fair, uh, Bruce Wayne does have a mob alias that he sometimes run as. I believe it's Matches Malone. Oh, sure. So there's some fighting, um, and they figure out that they, uh, well, the story gets a little bit more complicated here. Uh, Lance, who is the road manager for Dazzler's band, he's kind of been kind of a, a cocky guy throughout the whole series. He showed up late, and so they figure, well, that Lance guy, he must be the Blue Shield, because what's the chances of him being here and the Blue Shield being here? Because the Blue Shield's supposed to be from New York. So, anyways... The mobster guys they hang uh, they they head out to a warehouse in which uh, they find out that they have a woman in a one piece swimming suit who from the back we really can't tell who it is. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know who it is, Adam? Wasn't she on the cover? She was. Who was the woman on the cover? Well, it was She Hulk? Oh, okay. It, to me, it wasn't very obvious because she's kind of gray. She's green. But <laughs> on the cover, she's. She's, yeah, but that could be like a glow from Dazzler's lights. I did not immediately know that that was She-Hulk. But anyways. Okay. <clears throat> it, was, it was either She-Hulk or it was like Titania. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's She-Hulk. So the mobsters, they come in and they ca- kidnap Lance because they think he's the blue shield. They take him to the warehouse. Dazzler's with them, so they grab Dazzler as well. And that's when they reveal, we have the She-Hulk. And the reason that we have her is because we found her and we drugged her and we hooked her up to a mind-wiping machine. And now she's ours to control. Very complicated, but whatever. So mind-wiping machine. What was the mind-wiping machine in G.I. Joe? Oh. The brain something. That was developed by not Dr. Mindbender, but the other doctor who never actually had an action figure. Uh, Dr. Venom. Dr. Venom. I can't, and they use that thing. They use it through the whole series. Yeah. It wasn't just like a one-off thing. They kept bringing the thing back. I can't remember brain, what it's called. Brain something. Something brain. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure it was an acronym for COBRA. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so the She-Hulk punches Lance, and Dazzler's like, I better turn my radio on and go for it. So apparently that's her little catchphrase is go for it. So she's everybody's dazzle blasted except for She-Hulk and again huge boobs all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> In the next page, huge boobs all over the place. Uh, uh, they fight. She-Hulk's trying to punch uh, Dazzler. Dazzler is trying to use her smarts because she knows that the dazzle blast's not going to do it. She knows she doesn't have the strength to combat her. Uh, She-Hulk rips off the side of a truck and she's getting ready to punch Dazzler. Uh, she misses, but then she ends up throwing Dazzler, uh, almost removing her little costume from one of her gigantic breasts. <laughs> Just gigantic breasts all over the place. Throws her uh, across the parking lot, and Dazzler's like, well, I better go for it again, so I'm going to get my radio. Oh, my radio's broken. So she devises a plan where she gets into the truck. She starts it up. She's going to – I think she's going to try to drive it, but she can't quite figure out how to do it. So she why, – Why doesn't she just turn on the radio? Well, instead of turning on the radio, she blasts the horn. And the horn is so loud that that uh, allows her to absorb that sound and turn it into gigantic boobs. I mean, turn it into lots and lots of light. So then she hits uh, She-Hulk with focused light beam, and She-Hulk goes flying backward. Everybody else runs away because they're like, oh, my God, look, it's Dazzler and She-Hulk. And that's when the blue... Uh, shield shows up and they're like whoa Lance isn't the blue shield because there's the blue shield blue shield takes care of business everybody else runs away Dazzler wakes up 
<clears throat> she's like, I don't know what the heck's going to happen with uh, She-Hulk, but then She-Hulk shows up and she's like, hey, everything's cool. When you hit me with that Dazzle Blast, it brought me back. So thanks for that. It's awesome. Let's get in this truck and go. So they do. And this is where we find out that She-Hulk is, is kind of a lead foot. She's driving this truck like a maniac. But the real crux of this story is that um, Jen Walker, Walker, right? Jennifer Walters? Jennifer Walters, Walters, yes. Uh, it was a famous lawyer from New York, and so they have a little bit in common here. Uh, She-Hulk's father doesn't really like her being She-Hulk and would rather her stay a lawyer. She's like, I'm She-Hulk and I just want to have fun. And so there's, you know, there's kind of a back and forth because they're kind of in the same predicament. And this helps Dazzler really accept who she is and uh, feel comfortable with the decisions that she has made. So She-Hulk drops Dazzler off at the hotel, or I guess the uh, auditorium where the band is, has already played. Everyone's like, whoa, Dazzler's with She-Hulk! And the She-Hulk's like, hey, y'all, it's me. And so they drop off Dazzler. Uh, they're like, what happened out there? Dazzler doesn't want to talk about it. But then a dude comes in and he's like, you were amazing on stage and I want to... I want to sign you as a headliner before you become too expensive for me to afford. You're going to be bigger than Bruce Harris. And Bruce Harris is sitting there. He's like, yeah, wonderful. Meh. <laughs> yeah, but look, next issue. It's the Spider-Woman. <laughs> oh, it's a good chance to bring out uh, that voice. Uh, and spoil it. I'm going to spoil this right away because uh, I looked ahead. The cover for Dazzler number 15, it's quite good. Really? Yes. It, and it's just, uh, well, we'll get there when we get there. I don't know who the artist was, but it's not the same as the book artist because the book art is pretty bad, but the cover is really, really good. So if you want to spoil that a little bit uh, and see some decent artwork, check out the cover of Dazzler number 15. Did you read anything, Adam? Well, I read Defenders 106, which was part two of a series that uh, began with Captain America number 268. So I dug that up as well. Um, there are no X-Men in Captain America 268, uh, but it's a setup oh. for what happens in the next one. Um, the most interesting part of, uh, that was that Captain America finds Indiana Jones's character, um, amoral after seeing the movie. Which movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. Why is that? It's like, it, it was a good movie, but I, I just, well, I'll read exactly what he says. Uh, the cover says, featuring Steve Rogers' review of a smash movie. <laughs> okay. So he says, honestly, Bernie, uh, Bernie is his date. I enjoyed the film, but I don't know if I approve of it. Despite the fact that he did some good along the way, this Indiana Jones character was, well, he was essentially amoral. I don't know, the heroes of my day stood for something when I'd plunk down my 10 cents and climb into the balcony at the uh, at theater, the... unnamed at this point. He's concerned about the children who will be seeing this film and taking that man as their hero. So is this really Captain America's review, or is this the writer of Captain America's review? Well, I think this is the writer of Captain America's review of what he thinks that Steve Rogers from the 1940s would think of indiana jones from the 1980s okay fair enough so so yes it's captain america's review okay uh what was that yeah I, okay oh. um so the rest of the plot is that captain america gets contacted by some telepaths telepaths friends of his um 
who I guess he met a few issues ago, and I actually looked up that issue because they show a flashback sequence, and it has Beast in his old uh, Beast costume uh, from the early X-Men, so I had to go back to figure out what that was all about. And it was an alternate reality where the Nazis have taken over the world, and the uh, and the mutants are one of their targets, and uh, it has the X-Men in their original costumes, the five originals. It's oh. kind of neat. It was a, a one-page cameo that never really happened, but it's interesting. That is neat. Uh, uh, so Captain America uh, gets into this mountain uh, fortress where there is a man uh, named Mr. Masters who is planning to um, start World War Three by using telepathy to kill all of the Russians. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. They're, they're, he wants to launch a full-scale psychic attack against the USSR. Okay. Um, he thinks the Captain America will go for this, but Captain America is like, "You twisted lunatic!" and he punches him out. Uh, but Cap can't really do anything because he's got the defenders, um, some of the defenders, including Hellcat, Nighthawk, uh, Gargoyle, maybe, and Valhalla. Um, prisoner, so Captain America surrenders. Um, Nighthawk's girlfriend, who is also a telepath, manages to get a message out to Doctor Strange, which brings us to Defenders 106, uh, where Doctor Strange contacts a couple of his Defenders buddies, uh, Damon Hellstrom, uh, Beast, who is still hanging out with Vera. Uh, He says, "I I feel really awful about leaving you after we just got together so soon. But uh, And she says, I'd never forgive you if you didn't go, Hank. Those guys saved my life. And so uh, Beast runs off, meets Daredevil along the way. Daredevil and Beast go inside, and they manage to, through Doctor Strange's mysticism, figure out where this mountain fortress is. They go in and attempt to rescue everything um, and everybody and all the tabs and whatnot. And uh, they do. But they end up blowing up the fortress, and Nighthawk Nighthawk ends up dying. What? Um, Not Nighthawk. Yeah, yeah, Nighthawk. Hmm. He's got like I guess his his power is that at, in the daytime he's um, a cripple, um, uh, physically handicapped, uh, wheelchair bound, and in at night he is uh, I guess more heroic. It's kind of weird. Hmm. Cripples. <laughs> I don't think they liked um, being called cripples, Adam. Yeah, that's why I was handicapped immediately afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, we got to stay politically correct and all. Uh, yeah, so Kyle Nighthawk is 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 dead. He will be missed. Yeah, the rest of the defenders are okay, though. Oh, thank goodness. And now there's like seven of them or something. I don't know, hmm. defenders. So yeah, there wasn't... Uh, any real big beast moments in this one, just he was there. Okay. Anything else? No, that was it for me. Well, until next time then, the danger room is closed. All right. Indiana Jones plays no role in the outcome of the story. If he weren't in the film, it would turn out exactly the same. I see your confusion. You don't understand. Indiana Jones was the one in the hat with the whip. (laughs) No, I do. And if he weren't in the movie, the Nazis would have still found the Ark, taken it to the island, opened it up, and all died. Just like they did. 